good morning, Grace. It's so good to be together. As we were singing that last song, um, it's, it's again speaking through all time, this confidence that, that God is faithful. And I know it's looking to the future, saying that I will see the goodness of the Lord. And I looked around and I said, I am seeing the goodness of the Lord. That God is present here among us and each one of us have, have come here, I believe, by divine call of God. That we're not here by accident, but on purpose and by him. And for those that are joining us online, we welcome you. We're so thankful that you are joining with us in worship and in looking to our Lord. So I don't know what expectations you may have had when you came in. And, uh, you know, for some of us, maybe it was just, I had zero expectations. I was just trying to get here. Just tried to get through that door. Um, you know, maybe that's what the morning's been like. Maybe that's what the week's been like. Maybe that's the way life has felt. It's just a matter of just being there and showing up. Well, I just want to praise God that you've showed up, that, that you are here, and again, that you're joining us online. And I just want to give you the assurance that God has called you here to this time and to this place to speak a word to you. And while I've prepared word and I've, I've sought the Lord and I've prayed, I'm looking forward to what God is going to speak to me right now because he is a God of our present and he is desiring for us to hear him now and he has a word for each one of us. Uh, So I just want to encourage you, open your heart and if your heart's already open, keep it open to him and listen to what he has uh, to speak to you this morning. So I want to start off this morning um, with this phrase that I'm sure that you've heard maybe said. maybe observed and lived out. And the phrase is simply this, like father, like son. Like father, like son. And that phrase has um, special meaning to me for two reasons. Uh, One is that I am a son, and secondly, that I have a son. And I've seen this to be true um, as I look at my life and my family's life, like father, like son, that there are traits and things that are handed down. So uh, you know, I've, I've told you, many of you have heard this story. My father's been gone for 24 years, uh, but there are a lot of people in this community that, know, that knew my dad. And if I would just randomly ask somebody, what do you think of when you think of my dad? There's a good chance th- the word joke would be in there somewhere. Not that he was a joke, but he constantly was telling jokes. I mean, that was just part of my dad. Uh, when they talk about dad jokes, boy, I can relate. I mean, I, I heard them constantly. And, um, you know, many times it was the same one, and, you know, repeated over again. Um, but, but my dad just, he loved to make people laugh. I mean, it was just uh, sometimes he uh, crossed some lines that I don't think were appropriate. I mean, where he was, he liked to, to not just tell jokes, but like enact jokes, like pranks and things like that. Uh, but one thing, one time I was... Uh, this just rung so, uh, I don't know, this just kind of encapsulated my dad sometimes. That um, in, in regards to his jokes, one time his joke showed up in a prayer request on a Sunday night. And, and what happened was he had this joke about having dog jaw. And he would say, I have dog jaw. Have you, you, know, have you ever heard of dog jaw? He said, no, it's no. It's like, like well, well, here, it's, they just feel this. And, and he'd reach up, and, and when he would reach up to feel it, he, he would bark, you know, and it was dog, and it would scare people. I mean, literally, it was just, but, but that was his joke. And on a Sunday night, no joke, we had times of prayer, and, and I think it was my youth pastor. He didn't know any better. He said, could we please lift Mervyn Fair? up in prayer, he has dog jaw. (laughs) So I don't know if dad was healed, but he got the laugh he was looking for. Um, But anyhow, so my dad, he he liked to joke. He liked to to clown around. It's just part of who he was. And and I found that that I'm often, like I've enjoyed your laughter right now this morning because I I, I enjoyed laughter too. I I like to make people laugh and um, I... I try to use what wit I may have to engender laugh at times. Now, I, I, um, I try to be appropriate, and hopefully I've grown in that. And sometimes I know that it's like I should have, I, I say it, it's like I shouldn't have said that right then. You know what I mean? It's like, um, so, so I've inherited some of that with my dad. But then our son, um, 
when he was like three and four, three or four years old, I can still remember this. In fact, I, we were at this hotel and we were getting on the elevators. And I, I forget what was happening, but we were, I forget if we were just standing there waiting or we had just gotten on the elevator. My son just said something and it was the most hilarious thing. And people just started cracking up. There's this little guy, you know, telling jokes. Or we were in line to get ice cream, and he was telling jokes. And, and I distinctly remember this. Uh, I was talking to Joshua last night, and he, he doesn't remember this. But, like, when he was real little, like, I would try to use the wit and the humor to kind of pull something over on him. And it's, like, kind of a testing the waters. It's like, you know, I'll, I'll say this joke, and I wonder if Joshua will get it. And the little squirt, I mean, he not only got it, he had like a comeback just like that. And it's like, oh man, that's my son right there. <laughs> you know? um, but just that wittiness. So things can be passed on generationally. They are passed on generationally. And I used humor as, as an example, um, but there are many other things. And, and this isn't just to the Fair family. Um, it, it's so common that there's an insurance company that for the last couple of years has been like giving commercials, giving explanations of how not to become like your parents. Have you guys seen those? They're really, really good commercials. Um, but it, the whole thing is like how to not become like your parents. Like there's things that we don't want to carry on, um, you know. So, uh, so anyhow, this concept is true. It's real. It's part of our lives. And, um, and the thing is, is that, that this can be a good thing. Uh, again, my dad's humor could be a good thing. There are other things that are passed, down, passed on that uh, there are things of uprightness. There are things such as patience that can be passed on, like inclinations toward things. There can be uh, drive and, and self-discipline and um, kindness. You know, so many things that can be passed on generationally. And then there are other things that can be passed on generationally, and they are. Uh, you know, things of, of fear, uh, anxiety, uh, addiction, abuse. There's so many things that, that, that travel through family lines. And what we're going to be looking at today is, is a scripture um, that, that is going to be addressing generations and how things are passed along. And I want to just, just pray a covering over this time uh, because while we were laughing about my dad's humor and my son's humor and things, and you know, there are some things that are going to strike some of us pretty deeply because generational things can have deep roots and carry great pain. And I just want to pray a covering over this time that, that we'll hear what God wants to speak to the generations and to how generations impact each one of our lives, because they do. Uh, so I just want to invite you, we've been in, had prayer already, but I just want to invite you to just uh, quiet yourself before the Lord. I'm going to pray, and, and if you feel led, I certainly want to encourage you to pray in your heart to the Lord. And I just want, want you to know that God hears the cry of our hearts, whether something's spoken out loud or not, he knows. And I just want to invite you to uh, come with me before the throne of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you, uh, God, that you are here. And God, even as we started this prayer, Father, thank you that you, God, are Father. God, I thank you that you are love. And God, that you are perfect. God, that you are, are just and you are merciful. Uh, God, we thank you, uh, God, that, that you are... Um, you're beyond what words can describe. And I thank you, God, that you're present here right now. And Lord, you uh, know the word that you've laid on my heart and you know what is about to be shared and just pray that you would go before me, uh, go before us and prepare our hearts for what you desire for us to hear. Uh, I believe, I'm confident, Lord, that you're desiring God to speak hope and, to enc and encouragement, uh, God to bring healing and to strengthen. And God, I just pray again for your covering over this time. I thank you that we have confidence that your word is faithful, your word is true, that your word is living, your word is active, and your word is able to do what nothing else can do. It's your word that endures forever. So we look to your word, we look to you, we look to this time as community of faith and just say, God, have your way in each one of us. God, I thank you that we are here on purpose and that you, Lord, will be speaking to us individually. Give us ears to hear eyes to see, minds to receive, hearts to embrace, and God, then a will to follow in response and in obedience to your word. And God, we will give you the glory, we'll give you the credit, for we pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Everyone said, amen, amen. So I want to do a quick touch on last week. Uh, just to give some perspective. In fact, let me just back up a little bit. We're, um, you know, Steve said we're like about halfway, uh, a little over halfway through Genesis now. And the first part, the first 11 chapters of Genesis were focused on four events. 
It was creation, the fall, the flood, and, and the Tower of Babel. But then we said as we made this transition into chapter 12, Ab- Abram came on the scene before he was Abraham. And, uh, and then it shifted to four people for the rest of Genesis, where it's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And uh, so we've been uh, just tracking along and learning so much uh, as we look at uh, God's story and, and how man's story, uh, how we're called to be part of God's story and, and the incredible work that God desires to do in each one of our lives. Uh, so we've walked through the life of, of Abraham. And then last week we had uh, this time where uh, two weeks ago we had a wife was chosen uh, for Isaac, for Abraham's son. Uh, she was Rebecca. And then last week we found out that Rebecca was barren. And, uh, but she gives birth to twins, to Esau and to Jacob. One verse that really jumped out to me is, is in Genesis chapter 25, verse 21, where scripture tells us this, that Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. One verse, but that's 20 years. And, you know, as Ben was explaining this, is that there was, you know, again, that's just one verse, but it was that, that time of 20 years while they were waiting for a prayer to be answered. Now, you think about it, um, Ab- Abram and Sarai, before they were, became Abraham and Sarah, uh, they had this time for 25 years where they were dealing with this issue of being, being childless. But I was thinking about it, and, and, you know, I don't doubt that at this point, we know that uh, when you look at the ages of, of the patriarchs, that at this point when uh, Isaac and Rebekah were going through this time of barrenness, that Abraham was still alive. And it's very possible that he was walking with them through this time and helping them. It's like, hey, we experienced something similar. Um, you know, you know, and, and fortunately, we don't have any record of Isaac and Rebekah, you know, trying to do something on their own or, you know, through a maidservant or anything like, like Abraham and Sarai did. Uh, so it's possible that they were walking together uh, through this. Um, but, but again, there, there's, there's, uh, there's uh, something even generationally that was happening here in regards to not just the, the childlessness, but also the faithfulness of God in fulfilling his promise. But there was a, the one point that, that uh, again, so, much, so appreciate all the truths that Ben brought to us last week. But the one thing that really jumped out at me and I was processing, uh, have been processing through this week is this, is don't trade what you really want for what you really want now. And, you know, the passage talked about how uh, Esau, he was hungry for a meal and wanted that meal right now so badly that he sold his birthright. And, I mean, that's extremely, extremely significant. He was so focused on on the right now want that he gave away something that he really wanted, something of much, 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 much greater value. And we can do the same thing, you know, because I was in prayer, I think it was maybe even Wednesday night when we had confessional prayer community here, that, and I was just struck, it's like, you know, I look at Esau, it's like, man, what a big mistake, trading a meal for his birthright, and then I think about what God's given to us, and, and the, the fullness of life and faith in Jesus Christ, and all that he, is, he offers us daily, and how often do I trade that for something that is of far lesser value? So, I mean, again, I I trust that we're allowing these words to speak conviction and shine light into our lives. And as we move now from chapter 25 to 26, today, I just want us to to be looking at this as we walk through this, uh, this message, victory through generations. Victory through generations, from one generation to the next, how God is desiring for us to to carry, to walk in, and discover victory after victory after victory. Now, when we look at the whole of Genesis, as we kind of just gave that that brief outline, we talked about the the last portion from chapter 12 through through chapter 50 deals with four people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. This is the only chapter that really focuses just on Isaac. That, that he's part of other chapters, but this is the only chapter that really focuses just on his life. And it's interesting that in this chapter that focused, focuses on Isaac, eight times Abraham is mentioned, and six times the word father is used. And we're gonna see how generations are tying in so strongly to this, and what we can learn as, as we look at, at, at this story and see how it touches our lives and impacts our personal story. So what we're going to do is actually start a little further down in the chapter. Again, I'll have the scriptures up on the screen, but if you're following along in your Bibles, we're going to start down in the chapter at verse 24. And um, these two verses, 24 and 25, are going to lay a foundation that are going to help us as we walk through uh, the rest of the chapter. So Genesis chapter 6, 
beginning with, with verse 24. That night, the Lord appeared to him, him is Isaac, and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug wells. We're going to be giving more context to, to this specific moment, this interaction uh, between God and Isaac in just a few moments. But this is going to lay the foundation of what we're going to be talking through today. That God speaks to each generation. We know that, that through Abraham's life, there were eight specific times that, God, that he had a direct encounter with God. In this chapter, we have two, uh, two times that are recorded of God interacting directly with Isaac. But God speaks to each generation, and each generation has a decision. What will I do with the word of God? The word of God is spoken to each generation, and each generation has a decision to make what to do with that word, the word of God. The covenant, as we saw, was given to, to Abraham. It started in chapter 12 uh, when he was in a faraway land and was called from that land. The, the covenant then is, is restated and expanded going through Abraham's life. But that covenant that was spoken to Abraham is now reaffirmed, respoken to Abraham's son Isaac. And uh, this first part, the declaration, that I am the God of your father Abraham. I am, that powerful declaration of God. And he says this, do not be afraid for I am with you. That word spoken to Abraham, spoken to Isaac has been spoken over and over and over and over again through the generations. Do not be afraid for I am with you. And if, if you embrace nothing else of this message today, I want to encourage you to hear these words and allow them to be spoken to your heart, to your soul, to your mind, to your being. Do not be afraid. God declares, for I am with you. You know, the presence of the Lord, the presence of the Lord is guaranteed. I've often referred to Psalm 139 and, and just the, what the, how that has become so central to my life is, is walking in the realization that his presence is with me. And because of his presence, I don't need to fear. That fear becomes a, a, an opponent to faith. And when I have the confidence that God is with me, he's not just with me. As a believer in Christ, he's in me. And I know that he is for me. So what shall I fear? And I can say those words, but yet we still need to deal with the emotions and with the thoughts, the things that, that, that can become enrooted in our lives. And, and the answer is the presence of God. That God Almighty is saying, I am with you. And this is a, a foundational truth that, that I trust we're each building our lives on stronger and stronger and stronger day by day. This assurance that God is with us. Because fear can be crippling. We've all experienced it in many ways. And sometimes we're experiencing fear and it's manifesting in ways that we don't really understand that there's a root of fear behind it. But God is saying, I want, I want to meet you in your fear. I want you to bring your fear to me and have this confidence that I, the creator of the universe, as Steve said earlier, you know, that, that it's by his word that all things were made. He sustains all things by the power of his word that God, God Almighty is with us. Amen? And we can have confidence. We rest not in our own strength, not in our own might, not in our own wisdom, but in the God, the I am, who, who is with us. We have that confidence. When I have that confidence that God is with me, it gives that assurance that I'm not on my own. In fact, I want to, um, well, it's amazing, it's amazing how God speaks. He brings a fresh word to us. And this morning, I felt like God clearly spoke this reassurance through another verse. And he just, and he just, Gave me this assurance. Mark, I'm with you. It's like, Mark, I know you've prepared. I know you've studied. I know you've prayed. But all of us who teach, we come up here and we realize that God has called us to this place, to this time, for this purpose, and we desperately need God. I cannot do it apart from him. And just right after I woke up, I saw scripture and, it, and he just spoke. And I just sensed him saying, I'm with you, Mark. You know, don't be afraid. Be courageous. I'm with you. 
That's not based on me. It's based on him and my understanding and belief and confidence in him. Do not be afraid. The Lord, your God, is with you. And then it says the three things that are significant. And these are three things that happen in, in, um, in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's lives. But it's three things of, of action. Built an altar, pitched a tent, and dug a well. And we see that, that um, often uh, certain ones, one of those is, is connected more to one patriarch than another, but all three did all three of these. And I want us to look at that just, uh, just quickly because it's so important, I believe, to our lives and what God is calling us to do today. Um, so right now, I know the, the line at Walmart's going to be long after service because everybody's going to buy a tent. You know, I understand. Uh, we're, it's a different application. So let, let's, let's go back to what it meant then and see how it applies to us today. So first of all, it says that Isaac built an altar there. Again, the context we're gonna look at in just a moment to discover where there is. But he built an altar there, and what is an altar? An altar is a place of worship. That it's a place to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, other altars were built in that day, many altars to other gods that were not truly gods, false gods. But, but Isaac built an altar there to worship the Lord. And we are called to build altars. We are called to places of worship. In fact, in, in the New Testament, we're told that, that our lives are to be worship to him, that the way we live, that we're to be living sacrifices. This is our, this is our worship to God, that we are to be building altars. We are to be living altars, that, that our worship, it's not just a matter of coming to church on, on a Sunday morning or joining online for this, this time. It, it's a lifestyle of worship, of looking to God and honoring God and pointing to him and acknowledging him and thanking him and praising him, being focused on him, building an altar. The second thing is he pitched his tent. Now, pitching the tent, obviously they needed a place to live, right? They were nomadic. They moved throughout that land. But there's more to it than just a, a place of dwelling here. It's a sense of temporary. It's a sense of understanding that, that this is not permanent. Again, when you look at Hebrews chapter 11, it says that they were strangers in the land. Now, this land was promised to them. It was God's covenant said that this was going to be their land, that it was going to be their possession. Right now, it was not yet their possession. But even when it was, the same mindset needed to be carried through because it says that the patriarchs, what is it, that they, they pitched tents, they were strangers, they were foreigners in this land because they did not belong to this earth. They were looking for a city not made with human hands. They were looking to the eternal. So that pitching tent talks about having a, a, an understanding that this is temporary. This is just for time. But we're created for eternity. And... So as that applies to us today, it's that we need to remember, boy, we need to remember this, is that this existence here is temporary. Your know, scripture talks about our physical bodies as a tent, as a temporary dwelling, because we're only here for time. Whatever that time may be, it's temporary. But we are of another land, for those that, are, that, are, that belong to, to God, that have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, who have been bought and, and have surrendered their lives to God, our home is not here. It is in heaven. Amen? Anybody excited about home? <laughs> we really need to live more in light of this, that this is just our tent. We need to pitch the tent and understand that this is just for a time, but, but our lives are for, for eternity with God. And while we're here, we are here as ambassadors. Ambassadors are those that are in a foreign country. This is a foreign country. Shrewsbury, Pennsylvania is a foreign country to believers. And every other place on this planet is a foreign country to believers because we are of another home. We are of a home that's eternal. Heaven and earth will pass away. But the, the, our place with God in eternity is forever. But we are here as ambassadors, so we're carrying the beauty of home to here. That we're carrying the authority of home, of our Heavenly Father, to here. But we're living as visitors. We are living as foreigners and as strangers. And then finally, he dug a well. Well, that was the well there in that land. So, so in other lands, for instance, Egypt had, had abundant water throughout the year because of, of the Nile River and the basin where they were at. But in, in this area, area of, of the world, um, water was seasonal. 
There were times when, when there wasn't water available, so wells were absolutely necessary. They had to dig wells for water or they couldn't survive. And the well spoke of the necessity for life. And there's beautiful things here, and again, the relationship is, is so incredible because we look in the New Testament, well, actually throughout Bible, water so often speaking of life and of the Spirit of God, that where the river touches, there is life. Out of your innermost being in John chapter, chapter seven, Jesus said, we'll flow streams, rivers of living water. And today we need to be digging wells. We need to be making sure that we're connected to the source of our life, which is Jesus Christ and the, and the manifestation and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is essential that we're digging wells and we're finding this, this water. So we're looking here again, we're talking about victory through generations and we're looking at family. And there are two families that, that, that we're actually addressing in this passage and throughout our lives. There's a family of origin, which is the, that deals with, um, with our parents, with our siblings, with those um, that, that we are descendants of. Um, and for some of us, it, it's with guardians, it's with, with foster parents, There's, there, there are families of origin. So we all have natural parents and we also have those that have raised us, which may be different people. But these are our families of origins and they have impact on us. But the thing is, is that God has called us to another family. God has called us to the family of God. And God has, has made the way for us, for all who will, to be part of that family. To become part of that family, we need to realize our need for God. We need to realize that we are lost, and this goes back to the beginning of Genesis, that, that we are born separated from God, and we are born into sin. And we can't fix ourselves. We can't get ourselves out of this. But Jesus Christ, through coming to earth, living a perfect life, and then paying the penalty, dying on the cross for our sins. He, he did not sin, he died for our sins so that we could become his. He paid the penalty and then won the victory. He died on the cross and then rose from the grave. He seated God at the right hand of God the Father and he is desiring for each one of us to come into the family of God. And we come into the family of God, we all have the same father. We need to understand this inheritance that we have. We have the same father. We have countless millions upon millions of siblings and while this family on earth, our, our family of origin, origin is temporary, what we're talking about in the family of God is eternal. Wow, I wish that we as the body of Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, could live in that reality right there. That we are eternally members of the same family. Boy, that changes things, right? So this is victory through generations. Now let's run through the rest of the chapter. You have the foundation. Uh, we're gonna be looking at, at, at how, of where this fits into the story of Isaac. We're gonna begin now in verse one. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in, in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, listen to this, and I will be with you and will bless you. Right at the outset of this chapter, God speaking, I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on the earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. So it starts out that there is a famine again. Now it says this is different than the famine that happened when Abraham was in the land, and that would have been um, actually maybe 100 years before. So it was when Abraham first came uh, from Ur of the Chaldeans to, uh, to the promised land. There was a famine, and uh, if you remember... Uh, that didn't play out so well. We're gonna to touch on that in just a minute. But the thing is, is that there's a famine again in the land of promise. Now, even though they, they had come to the land of promise, it didn't mean that, that trouble disappeared, okay? We're gonna have struggles in this life. When we're walking with God, when we're be, walking in obedience to God, there's still gonna be challenges. And the thing is, is that those challenges come, as we talked, as tests to help build us. That God wants us to, to end the, tr the struggles and the challenges that we face to allow him to strengthen us and to build us, to know him better and to be transformed and shaped more into the image of Christ. And then this Abimelech is mentioned. Now, again, we're talking a lot of years later. Uh, this is a different Abimelech than what was mentioned uh, earlier with Abraham. 
more than likely. Now, they had long lifespans, but Abimelech is more of a title or a position than a specific person's name. Okay, so when we look back at Genesis chapter 20, um, it was, again, a, a, that was Abraham, Abram, Abraham and Abimelech. This is Isaac and Abimelech, probably two different Abimelechs, okay? Um, but it appears that as Abraham had, had left and he was going down to Egypt in time of famine, it appears that, that Isaac was doing the same thing. If you look geographically where Gerar is located, he was probably headed south to Egypt. But God appears and he says, stop, don't go there. And then he confirms his covenant that he's given, given to Abraham as now to Isaac. And here's what we need to embrace, is that God's promises are for every generation. God's word comes to every generation. His promises are for every generation. As it was for Abraham, so it is with Isaac, and so it will be with Jacob. And his promises go through, through time. His promises are for every generation. So God here is speaking the, the same covenant that he had spoken to Abraham, but now he's talking directly to Isaac, and he's saying, this is for you, this is through you. We remember that Isaac was the son of promise, and, it, and Abraham was told it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So now God is speaking to Isaac and saying, it is through you. He's confirming his word. What he had said to Abraham was true for Isaac, and his promises are true for all generations. Now the thing is, is as we embrace the word of God, I want us to remember that um, that, that there are words that are specific to a person, to a time, and there are promises that are forever. So just to give you a quick example in the things that we've just looked at. So we, we already said the, the promise that God said, I'm with you. And we see that throughout scripture. That's repeated over and over again that God is with you. Well, God also gave a promise to, um, to Abraham and to Sarah that this time next year, you're going to have a child. That's not a promise for all of us today. <laughs> you understand the difference? Okay. <laughs> I don't think, okay? <laughs> Let's come back next time, this time next year and see, see how we're... So, so there are promises that are specific. So, it's not, uh, so that's a word specifically spoken to a person in a time, in a place. But the promises of God are for every generation. And when he says, I am with you, he is always going to be with. And every generation needs to hear. and needs to decide what they're going to do with that word. So a lot of things can change from generation to generation. We're always dealing with those adjustments of the generation gap and things that these younger people are saying, I don't have a clue what it means, okay? Or, or the older people, you know, that, that are like their parents and like it feels like all these differences and distinctions, but there's one thing that's consistent, the word of God. The promise of God is consistent forever and for always. And his promises are for all generations. So do you think that, that Isaac had heard his father telling him about what God was speaking to him, what God has said? You know, I have no doubt that, that Isaac had heard many times Abraham, his father, saying, saying, Isaac, son, you know, God has told me this. He's confirmed this. He's spoken this. This is his covenant to me, you know, and it includes you. But it becomes different when Isaac hears the word of God himself. It becomes different when Isaac hears the word of God himself. And every generation... Every generation needs to hear the word of God directly. See that that word of God is for them. The stories of a previous generation have now become the experience of the present generation. And we need to make sure that, that there's victory through the generations, that, that we're allowing the experiences that, that, that we as the present generation have received and, and heard from God and passing them on so that it becomes the experience of the next generation. It's absolutely essential. So what are we doing to lead generations to experience the life and the love of God? You know, there's so many things as, as, as a, a church that, that we do to, to do that very thing is to pass on that word of God. Uh, right now, you know, Grace Kids is doing that very thing. They're taking the same word of God that, that we have here. And that they're, they're imparting that to young kids and, and, and kids are having the opportunity to hear the word of God for themselves directly. In fact, I just, uh, let's pause right now and just pray for the ministry that's going on right there, could we? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word, that your word is for all ages. God, we pray for the ministry right now of Grace Kids that's happening now and will happen next service as they're ministering to, to the youngest and then up through um, the elementary school ages. God, we pray, Lord, that your word would impact lives. Even today, that young children would hear your word and respond to the invitation to be yours. 
God, we thank you that that word's transformational, and Lord, we pray that that word would grip hold of young hearts and minds even today. God, we thank you for those that are serving and that are ministering, anoint them. God, use them and do a powerful work in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I need to share it. During the prayer, I think God may be calling some of you to impact that generation. God may be calling you to serve and grace kids. That could be a promise of God <laughs> spoken to you. He, he may be calling you to, to minister to, to some of those kids. Because even the youngest ones can experience the love of God even before they can understand the words that you're saying. And you know, when God gets hold of a young heart, boy, there's something incredibly beautiful there. Young hearts need the Lord. And then there's ministry to students. I want to shout out a praise to God is that yesterday, the first ever here was, was held of the Revive Conference. This was hosted here yesterday, and it was a, a, a dream that, that uh, God had placed on Phil's heart, and, and God just ignited all kinds of things around this. But there were about 100 people from 20-plus churches that ministered to students that came here to be inspired and equipped and to experience the presence of God so that that generation can be impacted more powerfully. Praise God. Amen. So, I mean, there, there are specific ministries focusing on next generation, making sure that can happen, and for parents that have kids in their home, for parents that have kids that are grown, you know, we have the opportunity to speak into lives, to live lives that are examples, to invest in the next generation, the generation that's coming behind us, because every generation needs to make a decision for Christ. Every generation needs to know that the promises are for them. So there's something that's really interesting in here, and I kind of wanted to avoid it, but I won't. I'll just touch on it quickly. The word that, that God gave to Isaac said that, that this blessing is going to come to you in verse 5, because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. And I look at the story of Abraham. We've been looking at this for weeks, and it's like, Abraham doesn't sound that good to me. No, no, don't get me wrong. He's a father of faith. I mean, he's incredible. I, I hope it doesn't sound like I'm slamming Abraham. I'm not saying that. But like, like his warts are shown. You know, his failings are shown. But yet look at how God describes Abraham. He obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. And because of his obedience... Isaac, the covenant's coming to you and through you. Here's a th something that I believe that we need to embrace is that God sees us a lot differently than what we see ourselves. I'm looking at Abraham through my eyes. And I'm relating to his struggles. I'm identifying with his failings. I'm celebrating his faith and the good things that happen. But when God looks at us, he sees perfection. It's not that he's blind but, but yet, like, Scripture says when he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Look in the mirror and see if that's what you see. That's what God sees. He celebrates his goodness in us. Isn't that incredible? He celebrates his goodness in us. And yet, I mean, we need to be open to conviction. We need to be allowing God to reshape us and remold us. But we also need to see ourselves more as God sees us. Child of God, you are pure and you are spotless in the eyes of God. Not because of what you have done, but because of what Christ has done. We need to know that when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees us without spot or blemish. And I don't know about you, but boy, when I think, man, dad looks at me like that, it draws me to live up, doesn't it? It draws me to want to please the heart of God in every way. So today... How does this apply? So Isaac is blessed because of the obedience of Abraham. Guess why we're blessed? Because of the obedience of Jesus Christ. We are blessed because of the obedience of Jesus Christ. Now you can say everything good and perfect and, and all this you know, to describe Jesus, and it is true. He is perfect. In fact, when we talk generationally, like father, like son, if you've seen me, Jesus said, you've seen the father. 
I'm just like him. Like what I say, what I do, I'm, I'm the father, like revealed through flesh. But it's because of the obedience of Jesus. As we've already talked about his death, his resurrection. It's because of him that we have the new covenant, this relationship with God through Christ. Cool thing, Isaac obeyed. He did what God said and he stayed in Gerar. Now it gets messy. Okay, so if you've read ahead, you know what's gonna happen. Verse seven, when the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she's my sister. Because he was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she's beautiful. Like father, like son, Sarah was, she was hot. I mean, it, it says she was beautiful. Son gets, you know, good looking wife. Um, so cool generational thing there. But when Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she's really your wife. Why did you say she's my sister? Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the men might have slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people Anyone who harms this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And here's a point that jumps out. We inherit inclinations to sin that we should guard against. We inherit inclinations to sin that we should guard against. There's something to be learned from a previous generation. Now, Isaac had escaped the famine and the influence of Egypt. Egypt represents the things of the world, but he fell prey to a sin of his father. It's recorded once that Isaac lied about his wife and said, she's my sister. It's recorded twice that Abraham did it. In Genesis chapter 12 and in Genesis chapter 20, you can go back and read those chapters, listen to those messages. His father had done this twice, like father, like son. In Egypt first, when they went down to Egypt, um, Sarai at that point was taken into the harem and um, and, and Abram, had, well, actually later in chapter 20, we find out that he had made this agreement with her a long time ago. Wherever we go, say you're my sister to protect me because you're pretty. If they know you're my wife, they might wipe me out so they can have her. But what happened was in Egypt, uh, Pharaoh's, I mean, his, he and his household got diseased because of Sarah being taken in, thinking that she was sister instead of wife. So Abraham had messed up. I mean, it brought, it brought disease to Pharaoh and his household. Now, God cleared things up, and Abraham was, Abram at that time was blessed. Chapter 20, he ends up in Gerar with Abimelech, the other Abimelech, and does the same thing, like father, like son. And the fortunate thing here is that there was no disease. There wasn't anything uh, like that that happened in this case, but there was something that was really sad, and that the testimony of Isaac was impacted in a heathen, in a heathen land, that he wasn't shining the light as he could have. But I want you to understand when this happened. According to scripture, Isaac had just heard the word of God. He had just received this fresh revelation experience with God. And after that, he lies. Now the thing is, is that this can happen. It's important for us to understand is that we can all be susceptible to this. We can experience the presence of God, the word of God, the power of God, be on a mountaintop, and all of a sudden find ourselves in failure. In fact, worked with youth for many years, and one of the things that we tried to be careful of is that often after a really significant experience with God, it was like at a retreat or something of that nature, while there's a mountaintop experience, boy, there was, a prone, there was an opportunity for Satan to jump in and try to rob it and to steal that blessing. And we need to be guarded. The, the, the Apostle Peter, remember in Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 16, where Jesus says, you know, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, 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 there's, you know, and Jesus affirms him and says, you know, flesh and blood didn't get it to you. That's by, by God you've heard this. And you know, great job, Peter, man. This is incredible. Upon this confession of faith, I'm gonna build my church. And, and then, like read a few verses later, Jesus is talking about his death. Peter pulls him aside and says, that's not gonna happen. And Jesus says to the same guy, get behind me, Satan. You have not in mind the things of the Father, but, right? But you're, you're, now you're thinking flesh. So we can go from a mountaintop to a valley. 
We can go from victory to failure very quickly. And in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, we're, said that, we're told this. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Now that's not saying that we'd run around scared, okay? Fear not, remember, the Lord is with you. But we need to be aware. There are propensities toward things that we're born with. There are failures of previous generations that can, that can impact our lives, but we still have choice. I can have a propensity towards something. It doesn't mean that I'm forced to do it, but it helps me to be aware is that this is a weakness that was in a previous generation that can impact me. That awareness can be so helpful. Now, God used a heathen king, a ruler, to expose the sin of his, of his promised son. Now, I mean, that sounds sad, and it is, but sometimes we need to listen to what the world's saying when they're calling out things in us. There are times that the church gets wrongfully accused of hypocrisy. There are times that it's true. And we need to allow, again, truth to be spoken to us regardless of the source. But the failures of a previous generation do not need to dictate how we and, and following generations live. I was drawn to the story of Reggie Dabbs, and he was talked about youth ministry. I had heard him speak numerous times and actually served part of the leadership team when, with him at one of the, um, the camps that we had. Reggie Dabbs, his story, I want to encourage you to go online. I tried to grab a, a brief testimony to just, just encapsulate. It's hard for me to find something just in a few minutes. But his name is Reggie Dabbs, D-A-B-B-S. I want to encourage you just to Google on YouTube Reggie Dabbs' testimony. Incredible. The man was born, his, his mother and three siblings were living in a chicken coop on an abandoned farm. When his mother had no money to feed her kids, a man came along and said, I'll give you $20 for food for your kids if you sleep with me. The, his mother slept with this man, and that's how Reggie was born, $20. She became pregnant that day. Reggie was born, and his mom said, I don't want you. And, um, and his mom remembered that a teacher that she had in school said, if you ever need something, call me, and given all of her students her phone number. Uh, she called that teacher, and that teacher and her husband took Reggie in. He was a foster child. I think it was at the age of 13 that he took on their name. Reggie Dabbs has spoken to millions of students in high schools, across the country. God got hold of his life. And his beginning did not determine his life. We can be victims or we can be victors. There's choices here. And God wants us to be victorious in Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, listen to some of, some of his testimony. Now he also had, and part of his testimony is this, from age 13 to 21, he almost daily enter, entertained the idea of suicide, constantly dealing with suicidal thoughts. God brought him through, and he is now a motivational speaker, and he is saving young people from destruction through Jesus Christ. Reggie Dabbs, incredible testimony for God. I want to tell you just briefly about my father-in-law, uh, George Shoemaker. People knew him as, as Bud um, his dad was a pastor and his dad was unfaithful to his mom and left he and his three, three sisters. He was abandoned by a man of faith. That could have set him off. It could have led him to reject God. But instead, he helped care for his mom and for his siblings. And he lived his life for Jesus Christ. In fact, uh, at one point with five natural born and four foster children, they had nine kids in the house he was a father that shined the light and was caring to his family. It's choices. Yes, we can have propensities, but I can tell you one thing. Bud Shoemaker was a faithful husband. He lived a life honoring God. We have choices. We may have propensities, but we have choices, and we have a God that wants to give us life regardless of what, what our past has been regardless of what our parents have done, regardless of what the environment is that we've come from, God wants to give us life and life to the full. We don't have to follow in those bad ways. God wants to deliver us. So we need to move on 
Yes, our sin affects others. And as Ben said so powerfully last week, is that our, fin- our sin has effects. The, the, the person that, that said about like, it's a nuclear bomb, that it impacts those around us. But can we tell you that you read in Scripture that, that sin is visited to the third and fourth generation, but righteousness to a thousand. That while our sins and our failings may be grains of sand, it's next to a mountain of God's mercy. And we need to understand that, that again, these are failings. While they have impact, while they influence our lives and others, the power of God is so much greater. So let's go on and see that in this chapter. It says in verse 12, Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold. Why? Because the Lord blessed him. That doesn't make any sense. The guy just followed in his father's footsteps as a liar. And what happens? God brings blessing. It's not that he was just a bad truth teller, but a great farmer. No, I mean, this God, God did this. The Lord blessed him. The man became rich. His wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his, his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. God blessed the liar. Now, please don't get me wrong. I hope it doesn't sound like I'm being mean to Isaac. If I tell a lie, I'm a liar, okay? I can be forgiven and I can be blessed. And here's what we need to know. As I was going over this, I had the opportunity again to go through this chapter with uh, Ben and Jeff and Phil. And Phil, I got to give him credit for this because he he just embraced this right away. Our disobedience does not disqualify us from God's blessings. Our disobedience does not disqualify us from God's blessings. And so many times we can jump into the shame pool when we've fallen short and we can think now it's done, like God can't use me. But you know what? God wants to use people who have sinned, who are, who are forgiven and who are now walking in the power of God. God blessed him a hundredfold. I wanna give you another story quickly. Franklin Graham, the name may be familiar. I didn't realize this. He's actually William Franklin Graham III. Um, that, that he's, uh, so you may be familiar with his father, if you're not familiar with him, Billy Graham. So his dad, worldwide evangelist, okay? Franklin growing up in his mid-teens, it was, it was, it was too much for him. He was always Billy's son. He, was, he had grown up in a solid family. He had the good generational stuff. I mean, he was hearing the gospel over and over again. He was seeing literally millions of people being reached and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in his mid-teens, he said, this doesn't, this doesn't fit me. This, it didn't come to this next generation. He went into a, a, a period of rebellion. Um, a book that he written, Rebel with a Cause, uh, tells some of this story, but it was at age 22 that things changed in his life. At age 22, at a hotel room alone in Jerusalem, he surrendered his life to the Lord. And since then, God has used him powerfully. President and CEO, of Samaritan's Purse and the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. God has used him powerfully even after those years of rebellion. God redeemed him, bought him back, empowered him, has used him to reach millions of people around the world, ministering to those who are in the ditches and the trenches because he's called to help those that are helpless. God God doesn't stick us in our failures. Let's not do it ourselves. Our disobedience does not disqualify us from the blessings of God. And if you want to see Franklin Graham in person, September 25th, York Fairgrounds, there's a God is Love tour that's coming here to this area, and he's going to be bringing the gospel to this region. Yes, that was a shameless advertisement. We can be part of that. And, uh, but it's God's grace it's, it's the way God ministers. He works in spite of and even through our failures. So if I can sin and still get the blessing of God, why not just sin? You're not the first person to think it. <laughs> no, it's common to our nature. We think it's okay to sin and God's still gonna bless us. Well, then why do we live holy? In Romans 6, Paul like, tells it really, really clearly. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Because then he also says that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. So the logic could take us. What should we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? I want to encourage you to read the rest of that chapter. 
God calls us to holiness, to righteousness. We are called from sin and giving the power not to sin because of his life within us. Let's not abuse that. Let's not be those that take advantage of the freedom that we have. So we move on to Genesis chapter 26, verse 17. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar, where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names his father had given them. So he's following the path of his father, redigging wells that had been dug and giving them the same names. It's honoring the generation that had come before. Verse 19, Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, the water is ours. So he named the well Esek, that means conflict, because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also, and he named it Sitna. And that, um, that, that means, uh, Sitna means either uh, um, opposition, uh, hatred, it's actually the same Hebrew uh, word that the word Satan comes from. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, it's beach time. No. It's, uh, um, he named it Rehoboth, saying, now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. And that's what Rehoboth means. It means roomy, expansive, open place. From there, he went up to Beersheba, and that night, the Lord opened, appeared to him and said, I am, and this is where we started, I am the Lord, or I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. As he built an altar there, called on the name of the Lord, he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug wells. So, again, after his failure, Isaac goes back to what his dad did, reopening wells, giving them the same names, but there's opposition. The blessing is so great that people come against him and are fighting against him. But here's the thing. We need to press on to the open place that God has for you. Press on to the open place that God has for you because he, he came to Rehoboth, that well at Rehoboth. But in order to get there, he went through challenges and so many times the challenges can set us back and we can get, feel like, I just, I can't go on any longer, but know that God is with you. Keep pressing forward. And Rehoboth, when he came there, again, he found that place of peace, that open place. Now, so many times, God, God really convicted me about this. So many times we can choose where we think God's provision can come from. Like possibly God is using a specific well in your life all of a sudden, that well closes for whatever reason. And we can get stuck at that well. It's like, no, I want that well. That's where God's provided for me. But it may be that God's leading you to another well, that he's leading you to this other place of resource. And this can be in, in your finances. It can be in so many ways. But we can get stuck in places where we found struggle and we found opposition. And we're going to talk about this in, in just, a, just a, minute, a minute or so about, about how we respond to, to uh, struggles and to conflicts. But the thing is that we need to keep pressing forward. And God has a place for each one of us, a place of openness. In Psalm uh, chapter 23, we, we know the 23rd Psalm, but the fifth verse talks about um, you prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. When you look at a shepherd, that table was actually a plateau that he would lead the sheep to, an open place where the sheep could have room and they were under the protection of the shepherd. God has open places in our lives Places that he wants to lead us to that are expansive, that there's room, but that we only find those places when we're walking within the boundaries of God and what he has set for us. If we try to avoid boundaries and go in our own open place, it's not, it doesn't play out well. But God has open places for us. We need to press on to find those. And this, again, brings us to, to this, uh, this, this is the context of our opening verses, that he found this Rehoboth, and he found this place of oath where his father had made an oath, Beersheba, and it's there that he worshiped the Lord, it's there that he pitched his tent, it's there that he dug, that his servants dug wells. Press on to that open place that God has before you. And the last section that we're going to look at is through verse 33. I'm sorry, let me back up here. Okay. Uh, verse, starting with verse 26. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come to him from Gerar with Ahazath, his personal advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his forces. Isaac asked them, why have you come to me since you are hostile to me and sent me away? And they answered, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you, 
So we said, there ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you that you will do us no harm, just as we did not harm you, but always treated you well and sent you peacefully, sent you away peacefully. And now you are blessed by the Lord. Isaac then made a feast for them. They ate and drank. Early the next morning, the men swore on oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them on their way, and they went away peacefully. Verse 32, that day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. They said, we found water. He called it Sheba, and to this day, the name of the town has been Beersheba. And here's the thing, that peacemaking will produce blessing and provision. Peacemaking will produce blessing and provision. There was conflict, but you look at the way uh, different generations handled it. Abraham was more confrontational. There was a treaty with Abimelech back in Genesis chapter 21. He, he, went, he went at it more straightforward, more head on. When you look at Isaac, how he worked with peacemaking, it was a little bit differently. It's, you could say he was avoiding confrontation, and that may have been true, but remember, he didn't, he didn't uh, cause a fight when that first well was, was, was filled in. He didn't cause a fight when that second well, he moved on, and God was using him. So the thing is that there are times to stand up, and there are times to turn the other cheek. And we see Jesus doing it throughout his ministry. There are times he was extremely bold, right in the face of religious rulers. And there are other times where, where he just walked away and he didn't defend himself. So we need, to, we need to desire to follow the Lord in finding and making the peace that he desires for us to experience and for us to share. And what's so cool is that the same Abimelech that had seen, had heard the lie and seen his lie and exposed the lie of Isaac also saw God in him. And he saw how God was blessing him. And he saw how God was with him. And he saw the might and the power and he, he wanted to have peace with this man of God. And when he comes to him, it's like, hey, I've been good to you. It's like, well, really? Isaac could have challenged that, but he didn't. <laughs> yeah, Abimelech was lying too. He hadn't always been good, Okay. But the reality is that, that Isaac sought peace with Abimelech, established a, a treaty and an oath. And what happened? This is so incredible. Again, verse 30, 32, peace is established. An oath is, 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 a, is made between them. That day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. They said, we found water. That day, that blessing, that provision came. So, is this now a formula? Hey, we make peace, we get blessing today? Sometimes yes. Sometimes it takes time. But we have promise of James 3, verses 16 and 17. Wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Embrace this. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Will it be a blessing of material things? You know what? Sometimes it is. There are things that we are blessed with by God that material things cannot buy. And we need to know that, that God, he is the God of peace. He is the Prince of peace. And he's desiring for us to walk in peace so that we can experience his provision and his blessing. So the chapter started with famine and it ends with fullness. Includes lies, it has struggles, it has challenges, but the promise always, God is with you. And God brings to this place of roominess. He brings to this place of blessing. Sometimes it takes time for a crop to grow. The promise is that the fruit will come. Trust God, walk in him. So I hope that today that you've been encouraged. I hope that today that you've, first of all, heard that God is with you and that he's for you. I hope that you've realized that regardless of what your background is, the things that were good from your upbringing, embrace them, thank God. The things that are challenging, allow God to work in your life. Allow, allow him to speak to you and give you power and give, give you strength. But know that God is with you and he's leading you to this place of expanse and of roominess that, that is, is defined by his boundaries, but it's freedom. There's freedom in him. There's this fullness of living that he's calling us to. So when we talk about victory through generations, is it a formula? Is there a guarantee you do this, this, and this, this will come? It doesn't work that way. Sometimes it takes time. I don't know how, 
I don't know how Billy Graham felt for those years that Franklin Graham was struggling. But the fruit came. Sometimes it takes time, but hold on, be faithful. Allow, you know, seek God. He's right there for you. Allow his life to empower you. Because the reality is this, is that ultimately the family of God, talk about generationally, the family of God, we win. The victory's sure, eternally. So let's address life from a position of victory, not striving for victory. We have won in Christ. Let's discover that victory together. So what I want us to do is to, uh, often we do this right as you're walking out the door, we're gonna do this right before closing song. Because I really would like you to consider this even now as we uh, come to God in a closing song of worship. First of all, be thankful to God. Thank God for the life and the blessings that we have because of Christ. It's not because of our goodness. It's because he is good. It's not because of our faithfulness. because he is faithful. It's because of Christ that we have favor with God. Thank him for that life and blessings. Look at the generation before you that has come before you. What should you build on and what do you need to break away from by the power of God? Be aware. Allow God to speak health and healing to you. And look at the generation coming after you. How can you help them to find Jesus? So as we bring these things before the Lord, let's just worship him and allow him to speak uh, some final words to us before we uh, dismiss. So again, in this time, if you would like to stand, you would like to kneel, you'd like to come forward, uh, we're just gonna worship the Lord one more time.